Hey, we're in our last week of this sermon series, and Pastor Jerry will be back next week, and he's going to start a new series uh, called Arrow Striker. You won't want to miss that. It's going to be a really good series. But this is about what we're talking about is when life gives you lemons. How many of you guys like lemons? Anybody? There are some people. You either like lemons or you don't. I have found there's no kind of in-between. My wife, Bobby Lewis, does not like anything lemon-flavored. I'm telling you that I will eat everything lemon-flavored if it's put in front of me, okay? This is going to be a very dangerous time because after church service today, there are lots of homemade goodies that are all lemon-flavored. And I heard rumor that Patty Lingle even made lemon fudge. So between church and Sunday school, go out there, do a little fellowshipping, grab some treats, and head off, okay? But we're going to talk about today, this last, kind of this last summer, we're going to wrap it up about when, when times of life are difficult. Is there anybody here who's never experienced ever in their life a time that was difficult? I, I don't think there is. I, I think that um, we all will have something in our life that will happen that will be a little difficult. But you know what? We can grow as disciples of Jesus Christ through these times by persevering, by trusting God. Even when we can't see or understand, we learn to serve God and others even when life gives us lemons. So let's jump in. Let's read the rest of the scripture this morning. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant Offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's a touching letter. It's a great ending, isn't it? 
I mean, you have to realize that Paul wrote this from where? Prison, right? During the times of trial and struggle that we have in our lives, it's so easy to focus on ourselves. Bad things happen. It's easy to ask God, why? Do you ever get stuck doing that? Do you ever get stuck asking God, why? And I got to tell you, I've had so many people, they come sit in my office and they say, why is this happening to me? And my biggest thing that I have to do is I have to tell them, you're asking the wrong question. I always break, I try to break it to them as easy as I can. I hate to tell you this, but you're never going to get that answer this side of heaven. You're not going to understand the why. You're not going to get it. You're not going to have that question answered. And so I want us to maybe focus a little bit differently today. I want us to focus on three new questions because we've got to start asking different questions questions because we're all going to suffer. Jesus didn't say, Hey, come follow me. It's going to be a bed of roses. Come follow me. It's going to be a smooth journey. He didn't say that, did he? He said, come follow me. And he told his disciples, you are going to endure suffering. Why should we be any different? There are going to be times that are difficult in this world and in this lifetime. We're not going to be different than they are. And we've got to decide to ask these next three questions. One is, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to behave? And who do you want me to help? Now, those first two questions, you know what? Those seem pretty good. If I'm in a time of struggle, uh, Lord God, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to behave? But that third question, if I'm struggling, you want me, Pastor Dan, you want me to ask the question, who do you want me to help? I'm the one that needs help. A few years back, I was preaching and sharing and we were talking about doubt and struggle and trials and difficulties. And one of the people in my congregation talked about a time where they, they experienced a great suffering. I mean, almost to the point of Job type suffering in their life. They'd never experienced that. Their walk with God had just been mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop. And then they came to this valley And they began to question God. And as they worked through this process, this was the one thing that they told me. I don't want to waste my suffering. I don't want to. That is not the statement that I would normally hear from someone. It's I want my suffering to end. But it really does sum up these three questions. If we want to get something out of the suffering that we may have to, when we get lemons thrown at us, because guess what, folks? We don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live in a broken world. 
This is not the design that God had when he created the world and he created humanity. Sin has come in and corrupted the design. We live in a broken world. We live outside of the perfection of the Garden of Eden. We're going to have some lemons in our lives. I don't want to waste this suffering. That one statement sums up all three of these questions. But you know what these questions do? They do something very significant. They change us from being victims of bad situations to people who strive to see the lemonade of what God is doing in our broken lives. And it's that third one. Who do you want me to help? You know what? Even in the midst of our suffering, we can walk into, God can still send us. He can still work in us and through us to send us. And guess what? You might just be the sugar in their lemonade. Did you know that? God can do that. I want us to remember too. I want us to go back to that scripture. I want us to remember Paul was writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And you got to remember that the early church everywhere was under persecution. The church in Philippi wasn't any different. They were getting handed lemons after lemon after lemon. Christianity was just beginning in that town. And it was such a, a vast, um, eclectic place. It was so diverse. They, they actually, um, you know, had almost every pagan religion. Zeus and Diana and all of them had temples in this place. They've found it. But you know what? They've never found any remnant or any archaeological find that says there was a Jewish synagogue there. Acts chapter 16, 13 actually mentions that there is a place of prayer there. But that's it. So it's easy to assume that this congregation is going to be composed of mostly Gentiles. <clears throat> Sorry, my allergies are just getting me today. And think about that for a minute, because if you were a Gentile, you probably did not know the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. You probably didn't know the Hebrew scriptures. You probably weren't versed in the, in the Jewish way of life. And to top it off, Paul and Silas go and they do just something so terrible. They cast demons out of this slave girl who was being used by these people to make money by telling fortunes. And they cast the demons out of her that were doing all of this stuff and they free her from that. And her money-making slave owners, boy, howdy, they were ticked off about that. Something fierce. And they decided we're going to have Paul and Silas beaten and jailed. Christians were not looked upon with any kind of favor at all in Philippi. They were getting lemons. They were getting lemons. But I want us to remember that we're changing the question. We're being served lemons in our life. We're going to ask these three questions. We're not going to ask why God, why me, but we're going to ask God these three questions. What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to behave? And who do you want me to help? 
Now, there is another way that we can look at this, and I'm pretty sure I listened while I was gone a couple of weeks. I listened uh, to Pastor Jerry and Pastor David talk about this. It's referred to as the dark night of the soul. And I get it. This kind of does cause a little bit of tension, I would say, theologically, because what do we learn about darkness in the Bible? It's sin, it's death, it's destruction. And what is light? Light represents Jesus and, and you know, freedom from sin and freedom from death, right? You and I don't have to fear death. People used to fear death. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has done something within us and continues this work through us. He then is the resurrection and the life. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. And so we can, we can be assured that we too will be resurrected. But this idea of the dark night of the soul doesn't have to be so bad because we can learn to walk in the dark. We can. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I hit a magical number in my birthday uh, in January. So much so that my health insurance company sent me a text. And they said, would you like to receive updates on your health? And I said, well, sure. I texted back one. And the next text was, we see that you've had a significant birthday. And I'm thinking, oh, wait, what is this going to? You're due for a colonoscopy. It was not what I was thinking I was going to get, right? That was not. And then they had the audacity to ask if I needed help talking to my doctor about getting a cold. Nope, I can do that just fine. I don't need your help. I'm good. You know, they could have sent some better text or something. I do like how they call my 50th birthday significant, you know. It was very significant. Part of the warranty ran out. Now I have to go have a colonoscopy. That's what's significant. But I have found as I get older that there are times in the middle of the night where my body wakes me up and I have to go run off to the bathroom. Anybody with me on this one? I have learned how to walk in the darkness to get to the bathroom. Do you know what? In life, you and I can learn how to walk in the darkness of life when we're not up on the mountaintop, when we are down in that valley where we can't see. There's an old phrase which is probably positive and true, but it's not a Christian phrase. It's often used to encourage us to rise above difficult circumstances. It says, what does not kill you makes you stronger. And it really comes from this atheistic philosopher, uh, Frederick Nietzsche. It's part of his work called Twilight of the Idols. You see, for Nietzsche, God was dead and people had to change their lives on their own effort, on their own determination. It's the pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing, right? 
But for Christians, this type of thinking doesn't work. It doesn't work in our lives because God is the one who gives us life. God gives us life. God makes us stronger. You know, I have noticed in my life that God often does not remove the obstacles or what I perceive as obstacles or challenges. Lemons. But he does walk beside me and with me through it all. So instead of asking God why, we're going to earnestly ask God, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to behave? And who do we want me? Who do you want me to help? When we do that, we become people who move forward. We don't get stuck. You ever known anybody who's stuck in life? I often meet people and they're stuck somewhere in life. And I don't want to beat the drum of these three questions too hard, but I am going to thump it pretty good today because I want us to remember that when we have these times, when we have these times where we doubt, when we have these serious times when we question our faith in God, when we have these times where we don't understand God, how in the world could you ever make anything good out of this? By the way, I hate that people use that scripture over and over and over again. You know, the one that says God works together for the good of those, you know, that one. Folks, God does not cause these bad things to happen. Remember, we live outside of the Garden of Eden. Sin is in this world. It hasn't been completely eradicated yet. We are going to come into times where it's just not very fun. It may be very sad. It may be very trying. It may be very awful. But I believe what that scripture says is that in the end, God can take the awful mess of our life and squeeze some good out of it. You ever met anybody who's serving others even when they were hurting? I always think of Mother Teresa. And we think of Mother Teresa, we see that cute little nun. You know, she wasn't that big. She was just a cute little thing. She spent her life helping the poor, the sick, the disenfranchised. However, most people do not realize that she constantly struggled to experience the inward presence of God in her own life. For decades, she walked in the dark. She struggled with the dark night of the soul, hardly sensing God at all in her life. But even through those times... She knew the calling God had put on her life. And she continued to persevere and help others. When the AIDS epidemic was at its worst, she was there. Did you know that? 
she was there. Again, once more with these questions. What do you want me to learn? God, how do you want me to behave? Who do you want me to help? What did Paul tell church in Philippi? He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Even in the midst of their struggle, they renewed their concern for Paul. He said, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. They probably didn't have much. Most Christians didn't live. We don't understand it fully. That whole culture and society and that day, and remember, Christians would have been probably fairly low socially. They would have been outcasts. They were those weird people down the street. You know, helping the poor, taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans. All the while, the government's persecuted them. Paul acknowledged that the church in Philippi, instead of dwelling on the persecution that was happening to them, had turned that around and noticed Paul needs some help. We got to go help Paul. Let's send a gift. You see, they became sugar for Paul's lemonade. We can't ask why. It's not a good question. We're not going to get a good answer. But this is how God wants to work. He works in us and in you, in me. He works inside of all of us for a purpose so that he can work through us to the benefit of those around us. And here's the bottom line. We can meet people during life's lemons and God can work through us to bring about good and something sweet from a sour situation. So one last time, if you're, if you're in that life has given you lemons today, I want you to ask, I want you to pray with me, God, what do you want me to learn God, how do you want me to behave? Lord, who do you want me to help? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, Lord. Father, that you have given to us <clears throat> your son. And through your son, we have everything that we need. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear anything at all. Because your rod and your staff will guide me and direct me and bring comfort to me because I'm going to know you're there with me. And so, Father, today, for those who are among us, who are living in the valley at this moment. Remind them that you are close. You are near. You are right next to them in this valley with them. Work in them 
and through them, Lord God. Bring them out of the valley so that they can see the light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.